Okay, so um, we're holding by our second session on answering emails, and um, I hope you guys got a little bit of an enlightenment yesterday to some of the emails. I'm going to read another one today, maybe we'll get to two, maybe we'll even get to three. Uh, there's a lot to discuss. Um, I'll start with an e- a light one. Uh, I was going to start from the main one, but I'll start from a lighter one before we get to a uh, bit more of a tough one. Uh, hi, Rabbi Wiesenfeld. I must thank you for your clear and exciting Aloha Shurim on Torah anytime. Baruch Hashem, I have a full-time job, in addition to being a busy wife and mother of two baby boys, but I know how important Aloha is, and try to make an effort to listen to Aloha Shurim specifically in Hilchas Shabbos and Hilchas Brochas as much as possible. Kudos to Torah anytime as well, which enables so many people, that's all I want to mention this, like me to listen to these important Shurim at any given moment. In fact, I actually just got an email about five minutes ago from someone who says on the way to work, puts on Tony time, there it is. Anyway, um, in your schools, I've, I've gained tremendous knowledge and growth and improvement in these areas, and I really owe so much gratitude to you, and I really like this, this line over here. It devastates me, it devastates me, that I don't know all halacha like the back of my hand. But I hope that one day, with the aid of your shi'urim, to master it entirely. Isn't that amazing? Wow. This is a, a, you know, a, a young woman with two young kids, Unbelievable, she's a full-time job, and it devastates her that she doesn't know halacha like the back of her hand. That's incredible. I, I got a lot of chizu for that. And then she asks the Shiloh on baby wipes. So we're going to move on, Beis Hashem, because we all know the answer to that one. We don't exactly have to read a Shiloh about baby wipes in this year. But uh, let's go to the next one, because um, this one's a little bit more heavy. And um, like I said to you yesterday, there's a specific reason I pick these emails, and I, again, I apologize to people that sent emails in, and there's many people with questions which I try to answer, and I always try to answer emails, and anybody that wants to send an email, please, aw at etrog, E-T-R-O-G, dot net, N-E-T, dot I-L. So you're welcome to send it in, I'm not going to get to everything, but I'm going to try to get to ones which I feel all of us can gain from. That's, what it, that's really why I'm picking these ones. Okay, so listen carefully to this one. I'm writing to you out of last hope of saving my soul. My once strong connection to Hashem is gone. I have been married for close to four years without children. Two years after the wedding, I was diagnosed with a certain disease, and I'm not going to mention all the details. Since then, life has been taking us on a very bumpy road of unsuccessful fertility treatments. I more and more have a very hard time with it. I have the feeling that there's really something different and wrong with me. All my effort to make my wife happy is worthless. There's nothing I can do about it. It's something that can never be fixed. It's my fault in my DNA, the error that's in my entire body, and that can be found in every limb. I'm standing here with the feeling that I'm a chunk of a mistake, a source of sorrow, walking around the globe. Davening has become extremely difficult, Connecting and thinking of the greatness of Hashem caused me great pain. Well, I know that Hashem is Borei Yishma'ayin, He created the world with a precise plan, and is a mashkiach of the world, however, that also means that He planned and created me, exactly in the messed up situation. But is keeping me in my situation forever. Will He make me wake up one day with a new DNA? How can I sing, Hashem? Let's go and sing and praise to Hashem, who created me in this painful life. How can I say Shema Yisrael va'aftos Hashem aleikecha and keep the words of Shema as the royal instructions for the day when the king by himself doesn't keep his word v'shinamtem levonecha 
How can I praise Hashem Melech, Hashem Olech, Hashem Yimloch, Loilum Voed, where past, present, and future has no meaning to me? I have no peace with the present, only painful memories of the past, and the worst of all, get a shiver when I try to think about the doubtful future. My emotions and excitement to davening are extinguished. I'm refraining from mentioning my pain and desire for Zerushal Koyama to Hashem, from apprehension getting disappointed once again. I was sitting in my room last Shabbos, which turned into an all-house, in-house Corona shul the last few weeks, and was lining to myself the parasha, and at some point I totally lost it, in parasha b'chukhoisai, panisa aleichem, v'refesi eschem, v'rebesi eschem, v'kimosi esbrisi eschem. For some reason God is not taking these words literally, but the same sukkim promising us clearly saw these brachas, are also requiring from us not to live a life of Bekeri and Arai B'mitzvahs. How does Hashem exactly want me to do that? He lets me live a life of hopelessness, a life where nothing is Gishmak and no Tam. So many aspects of Yiddishkeit that I have to tell myself, this was not written for you. But once, but wants me to live a life full of emotions and love. To what? To His Torah? But not taking it too literally, or love or emotions to the Bashefa himself, the same one who created me intentionally as a deformed person. I can keep writing more and more, but this in a nutshell is what goes through my mind the last few weeks. I haven't managed to put a smile on my face for at least two weeks anymore. I want to put an end to it. I want to make Shalom with Hashem again. I miss him. Please, Rabbi, help me find my way back again with great gratitude. Wow. Anybody, anybody want to uh, volunteer to answer that email? I don't know if I could do justice to answering such an email, especially not on, you know, in the next 20 minutes. You know, that, that's, that's, it's something that requires a tremendous amount of, uh, of background, of understanding, of foundation. There's a lot here, but there's, there's a reason why I want to share this with you. You know, there's, there, there's a reason I want to share this with you. I'm not, I'm not here to discuss someone who goes through infertility and the feelings of a childless couple obviously are very, very complex and the sensitivities are extremely, extremely deep. I've dealt with them on a personal level to many people that I've dealt with and I wouldn't dare give advice to someone if I myself haven't been in that situation, which Baruch Hashem I have not. So I can't truly understand someone that goes through this situation. But what I can do, in a small level, is offer a little bit of chizik, a little bit of encouragement uh, in the experience that I have had dealing with such people. And, 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 and there's a reason that I'm mentioning this one to you guys, and that is because I think the idea is a very important thing. And the idea is, he's asking for something very special, and there's an underlying idea in his email, and that is, when the road is bumpy, where do you turn to? And that's a very, very important thing. You know, we all experience bumps in our lives. We experience times in our lives that are not so pleasant, times in our lives that don't exactly go the way that we had planned them to go. And um, we have to learn how to deal with it. We have to learn who to escape to. And we have to learn how to do it as well. So let's give a few points. Um, um, it's not a whole share and it's not a... I just want to give a, a few ideas to him, if he's listening... But even if he's not, just ourselves, let's be machazak ourselves. Baruch Hashem, we don't have this problem. And Be'ezah Hashem, none of you will ever experience this problem. Be'ezah Hashem. But, 
I think it's a often clearly in a general way a very very important idea for us to try and apply in our lives in many many different situations. You know, when dealing with people, you come to the realization that everyone has their time. You know, everyone has situations that get bumpy, whether it's in your name of shalom bias, whether it's in name of children, whether it's health issues, whether it's parnasa issues. There, there are many people who you know go through situations, and it's important to understand how to adapt, how to deal with it. So, first of all, there's a very interesting Tonet Velio. The Tonet Velio says that if a person learns and keeps the Torah, a person is true to Torah, he always remains calm. He always remains peaceful, even when troubles occur. But if somebody doesn't learn Torah, doesn't keep the Torah, is not living with the Torah, he just suffers bitterly when troubles arise. Now, we have to understand, as he, as, and this is what the Tonet Velio is basically telling us, troubles and sorrow are intrinsic to living in this world. And when they occur, very many people sort of, I guess, deal with them in different situations. Some people run to any pleasure that they could try, any distraction that can take them away. They're looking for a spite away from their troubles, and they think that's going to soothe them. It's not going to work. Other people run to spirituality, to Torah, to Hashem. Those people that try to escape their troubles by running to pleasurable aspects of this world will never find true, complete respite from their troubles. It's just brushing it under the carpet. Anyone who understands and who applies this idea of running to Hashem when something goes wrong will always find respite from all of their troubles. They know that the goal is not this world. Right? They're more capable of dealing with their difficulties because they realize that they, took, they put their load on Hashem. They recharge themselves with the beauty, the joy of Torah and mitzvahs. And then they can face the world's challenges. There's a sefer called Sefer Yosha written by Rabbeinu Tam, a Rishon, where he says, and again this exemplifies this idea that, that everyone goes through troubled situations, says Rabbeinu Tam in the Sefer Yosha, that you should know that difficulties of this world and all the suffering will not be recognized by the fool. Only by the wise will recognize them. Because the difficulties and suffering of this world are enclosed in pleasure, so the fool doesn't recognize them. And he compares it to a man who is in love with an evil woman. Because of his love for her, he can't see all of her faults. Only the other people that don't love her see all the faults. Similarly, says Rabbi Nutama, a person is engaged in pleasures in this world he won't see all the badness of it because he's just immensely in love with this world. Only when he departs from the world would he recognize all of the bad and a person has to realize the evils of the world are too numerous to count. They're endless. The world is full of sorrow, fear, troubles, upheavals, illnesses, sin, hatred, war, shame, disgrace, death, toil and hard work. The next world is the overflowing with tranquility, harmony, security, joy, eternal life, health, peace, honor and rest. This world is a world of suffering. Therefore, a person cannot escape his troubles by running to another aspect of life. He's just exchanging one form of suffering for another. Says Rabbi Natal, when a person runs to the Rabbi Shalom, when a person realizes the makar of everything, he will find respite from his troubles. I'll tell you, Amaisa, from the Divya Yisrael, the Rebbe of Mojits. The Mojits Rebbe, Rabbi Yisrael, the Divya Yisrael was once in Berlin. The year was 1913. And he had his leg amputated. Now he had a very, he was an old man. He, because of his weak heart. 
So um, he couldn't uh, he couldn't get an anesthesia. He couldn't get a you know painkiller, so to speak, for the pain that they were going to put him in through to amputate the leg. So he said, "Give me a few moments." And he told the doctor, give me a few moments and you'll be able to operate. From the hospital window, he looked outside. And he looked out into the beautiful city. And he told the doctor, you can proceed. And the Rebbe composed a song which is very famous in the Hasidic world. Ezkara, which is a very moving, it's got 36 stanzas, whatever. And it's basically based on, I remember and I moan Hashem. When I see that every city is so beautiful and built up. But the city of the Rabbi Nishlam Yerushalayim is still in its lowest depth. And that was what was going on, and that was what he was singing at that time. In the adjoining hospital room at the time of his operation was another was a government minister who was screaming and shouting at the doctors in pain. And the, the doctors were telling him, you should be ashamed of yourself. The Rebbe's in the next room, and he's in more pain than you. But he's not screaming. He's not screaming. He's not shouting. The explanation is said the Moshe Tzarebbe that he escaped the troubles of this world by attaching himself to the Rabbi Nishlam. Now it's easy to say, and it's easy to look at it from the outside and say, yeah, just go to the Rabbi Nishlam when you have trouble. But we have to try to understand a little bit more. You know, when life is tough, it has its challenges. But it also gives us an opportunity to work on our souls as well. I got a phone call this week from a fellow. Without going into all the details of the conversation, it's not applicable right now. But he told me that he waited 12 years for children. Can you imagine? 12 years he waited for children. The pain. The pain. It's unimaginable what he went through of waiting 12 years. It's almost at the time all his friends were making bar mitzvahs for their children. He's still waiting for his first child. He was Zoycha Baruch Hashem. Chazdeh Hashem. He was Zoycha to have a baby girl. And then four years later, he had a baby boy. Tremendous. But he told me something incredible. He said to me, he said to me that you cannot imagine the Nisoyen of waiting so long for children. It's unimaginable. The Nisoyen is crazy. But he said the strength, the chizuk, the opportunity that he got at that time, he doesn't have anymore. And he kind of wishes, obviously he doesn't want that pain again, but he wishes for the opportunity. And it struck me when he told me that, that, you know, all of our lives we have challenges, all of our lives we have Nisyonis, the Nisyonis Yishoyim writes very, very clearly in Perik Aleph. Says the Nisyonis Yishoyim, Kol inyonei oilom Nisyonis heim liodom. Says the Nisyonis Yishoyim, everything's an Nisyonim. For one person it will be this, for one person it will be something else, but there's always an Nisyonim. We have to learn what to do with it. We have to learn how to, do, how, to, how to deal with it. There's a challenge that means there's an opportunity. The founder of the Slonim, a Hasidim of Avram Slonim, about 150 years ago, 150 years ago, was describing the difficulty of Amun in the final generation. And he says that the final generation before Mashiach comes will be as follows. And he gave the marshal. People will have to hold themselves up by grabbing onto smooth walls with their bare hands. That's the test of Amun in our generation. That's what it is. It's an unbelievable test. The Megala Amukais, we were by the Kava, by the way, not so long ago. The Megala Amukais, a tremendous Kabbalist, also writes at the end of Golis. At the end of Golis, what will be? The final trial, the final Nusoyah will be a Munah. It will be people finding the Rabbani Shalom. People will be grappling to see where's Hashem. And this person in our email is no different. 
And the truth is, we all suffer from this on a small level, that we're also looking for the Rabbi Shalom. It's difficult to sometimes see it, but we have to learn who to run to. We have to learn who to embrace. The Shara uh, Bechina in Chavis Halavovas explains to us, how do we do it? Okay, so we've spoken a little bit. How do we do it? The Shara Bechina in Chavis Halavovas brings down this incredible idea that he says the more a person concentrates and recognizing Hashkocha process in our own lives, that means we look at the way the Rabbi Nishram runs the world, runs our life, the more we try to see it, the more we try to understand it, the more we try to highlight that, gives us a tremendous, overwhelming and breathless idea that there's a Rabbi Nishram in the world who has the koyach to do anything. And it's incredible. And that, and that enables us to bond with the Shechina and bond with the Rabbi Nishalayim. Ramosha Shapira's Zatzal, one of his Talmudim wrote this in the Sefer. Ramosha Shapira's Zatzal was incredibly close to the Rabbi Nishalayim. It was incredible. They asked him, how did you do it? How did you, how did you do that? So he said, I, I did it through Ashkocha Protis. I saw the Rabbi Nishalayim's hand in everything. He said, how did you do that? Like, where, how did you get to that stage? He said, don't ask me questions on this, because I see Ashkocha Protis every move and every step of my life. And that's the Shara Bechin on the Chayvah Salavavis. The person wants to reach that level. And again, I, I, I've said a marshal, which I've said numerous times, which I think it's Kedai to repeat now as well. Uh, I heard this once, um, I heard this with Israel Orbach, from Shem, his brother, of Shmuel Zatzal. And uh, Rabbi Shmuel Orbach Zatzal was a Odom Godlad Moed, and he was very, had a very interesting practice. He used to go to Chasnas of Talmudim, and he used to stay there for hours. And people didn't understand, because he was Mamash, a Godl, a Rosh Hashiva, and he was Mamash, one of the Gedolim. You know, a Gedolim walk in, they walk out, they say, Mazdor, maybe they dance for a minute, and then they move on. Like, they, they've got other things to do, they're busy people. What's the Pshah he stayed so long? And, he, and they asked him once, and he said, you know what, because I learned at the Hasna. Really, you learn at the Hasna? My gosh, how, how do you concentrate? So I'll tell you how I concentrate. I started learning in my study, in my, in my room, in my house. Quiet, easy, no problem. And then went outside where, you know, little kid, kids in the park, the birds, cheaping. It's a little bit noisier. And, I, and I, I managed to, you know, conquer that. I learned then with the same concentration. And then I went to a louder place. And then eventually I was able to go to a Hasna hall with the music and the people and everyone all over the place. And it didn't bother me. When I heard this Maisa, it struck me as something which is so choshev to us, um, to our own lives. You can't just walk into a chasna hall, open up a Gomorrah, and learn with the same concentration that you would learn in your quiet house. It doesn't work that way. You need to go with steps. And that is, you can't wait until chas v'shalom, there's a tzorah in your life, and then you say, okay, Amuna. It doesn't work that way. Remember what we said in, in Poland. We said, Regodel Eisner came out of the Auschwitz with tremendous Amuna. And we asked, how is it possible? And he said he took the bottle cap and he put it into his hand. He said, what do I have? And I said, well, you have a lid. Well, how do you know? Because I saw you put it in. He said, that's how I did it. When you start off with Sobat Shemunah, you keep that Amunah in you. And therefore, the reason I want to share this email with you is because, although, you know, maybe you can give us chizak to understand that here's someone who's gone through such a bad time and yet he's dying to get close to the Rabbanish. And there's no question that what he needs to do is work more on Hashkoch Protis, on working how much the Rabbanish loves him, and the Rabbanish created him, and he was created for a purpose. And every single person has his purpose, even if we don't understand what it is, even if it doesn't make sense to us, even if it's hard for us. There's a purpose that every Yid was created. 600,000 letters in a Sefer Torah, 600,000 Yid in the Matan Torah, every single one is Choshev, as we know the Gemara in Shabbos Peches, tells us each and every 
one of them got their own malach, because each and every one is choshev. Each and every one has their own tachlis in this world. That's, by the way, the kasha that they ask on the Gemara over there in Shabbos Peiches. We know that malachim have one mission. So here the malachim had one mission, to put the crowns of Nasa and Ishma on every, on every Yid. So why wasn't there one malach? One malach, one mission. Why do they need 600,000 for every person? And the answer is, it's incredible. It's because each person has his own tachlis, has his own for his goal, his purpose. As the Messiah Shashorim writes in Agdomo, what is his chayv in the world? What's his obligation in the world? Each and every one of us have that obligation. We might not understand it, it might not make sense to us, but it's a cheshben. And therefore, yes, it's hard, and yes, it's sometimes difficult, but we have to realize the Rabbanisham created everything. Bashkocha protis, everything with a cheshman. I'll tell you, Murdika Maisa. Somebody came to the Aliga Balshemtov, and he said to the Balshemtov, he brought him a Zoya Kodesh, and the Zoya Kodesh talks to Parshal Bishpatim about big Gilgulim and all sorts of afterlife situations. And he said, Rebbe, what is going on? What does this mean? So the Aliga Balshemtov said to him, I want you to do the following. I want you to go to a certain tree. I want you to climb up the tree, no one will see you. I want you to stay there all day. Just watch. Come back and report to me afterwards. Sure, no problem. He does that, goes on the tree, sits there, waits and waits and waits. And eventually some action starts happening. A rich man walks in, uh, walks close to the tree, sees that it's a nice shaded tree, and he decides to have a little bit of a schluff. He leans against the tree, the shade is there, he's relaxing, he's sitting back, beautiful, he's enjoying the shade, he falls asleep. As he's falling asleep, he's shifting around, his, his wallet, you can see he's watching all this, his wallet comes out. Uh, the rich man eventually wakes up and says, oh, what a good stuff, that was great, moves on. Right, and just walks away. He then sees, right, he didn't realize that his wallet was on the floor. He then sees that um, a poor man comes over, sees also a beautiful shade, very, very tight, it's a hot day, goes under the tree, lie, lies down over there, and all of a sudden, a few minutes later, the rich man comes back, and says, where's my wallet, where's my wallet? And the poor man says, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about, what wallet? You stole my wallet, you stole your wallet, and he starts smacking him, and started beating him up, and that was the end of the miser. The guy goes back to Balshentov, and says, Rebbe, what on earth, what on earth was that all about? What's chatting all this? He says, I'll tell you what happened. In the previous life, this rich man, and this poor man, both of them, went to a dinner together. And each one claimed money on the other one, and the Dayan said to the rich man that uh, you, you deserve the money. So you're going to get the money. The Dayan made a mistake. It was the wrong psak. It was not correct. Based on Shomayla then decreed they should come back to this world and one is a rich man should pay back by giving the money, so to speak, to the poor man. And the poor man uh, was the Dayan, so uh, he deserved a little bit of patch, and therefore he get beaten up by the rich man. So the Balshemtov, we have to understand, everything in this world has a cheshben. We don't understand it. It looks crazy to us. This makes no sense. What's going on over here? But at the end of the day, there is a cheshben for everything. So although the email maybe doesn't speak to us on a very personal level, Baruch Hashem, and we should never, ever know of such a thing, I think the, the chizik that we all have to get from the email is that... At the end of the day, we all have to work on it now. We have to work on it while we're young. Like we learned in the Mishnah in Perkyavis. The Rambam says now, while you're young, while it's easy, while things are going easy for you and you haven't gotten in bad situations and Baruch Hashem, the Rabbanu is not testing us in crazy ways. Therefore, now is the time for us to work on these things. Now is the time to realize who runs the world. There's a cheshben for everything. We may not understand it. It may be painful, but there's a cheshben. And the Rabbanu is testing us because he wants to test us. We don't understand why, but we'll come 
come out, if we realize where to turn, if we realize who's running the world, if we realize where the bracha comes from, then we'll have our connection, we'll reconnect to the Rabbeinu Shalom, we'll reconnect to everything that's Kodesh, we're not going to run to all the pursuits that are going on in the world. And we'll try to make sure to Machazakaramuna Darashkocha Protis. That's what we're gonna do over here. And that's a Gavaldagazach. I wanna I wanna end only because again we could we could spend three hours on that email. Incredible. I mean we we could go more and more now. I'll probably answer him on a personal level a little bit more as well, but just you know, something that we can take out from there. I want to mention one more email that just came in this afternoon actually, um, from somebody I'm not going to read out the whole email because it's an email that doesn't discuss everything that's no to us. But it was it was given by someone I actually know, um, and he asks me the following question. He wants me to address, which we don't have time much right now to, to address it, but only because tomorrow we're going to discuss a new Indian. And that is, he says to me, "There's riots going on, right? Uh, Baruch Hashem, you guys are probably immersed in your learning, so you probably haven't know you know known the news. You don't know what's going on, even if you're in America." You know, you've got your shades closed, you're sitting and learning all day, you know, Baruch Hashem. But there are riots going on uh, in many parts of the United States of America. And he says to me, what are we meant to learn from this? What's our limud? Now, I, I don't, you know, uh, what am I, a novi? You know, <laughs> in the olden days, you wanted to know something, you go to the novi, or in Vatumim, we had everything. We don't have that, unfortunately. And I'm definitely not the address for these such questions. Maybe Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky can answer the question in a direct manner. But I, I could just offer one tiny idea. You know, the Baal Shem Tov writes that we can learn everything from everything in this world. There's always a limo to be learned from something, and sometimes we just have to try and apply it. The Rambam says, famous Rambam, the Rambam says that there is nothing in this world that's worth getting upset over, except for dying. Except for when someone kills someone. So the Rambam. Rambam says that. There is nothing. Can you imagine, by the way, to take every time in your life when you got angry and just shut it out the window? Because the Rambam says there is nothing in this world that is worth getting upset over except someone who kills somebody else. That's it. That's what the Rambam paskins. And you can see this very clearly from, you know, the halachas, which Baruch Hashem, you don't know, but unfortunately, I had to do a lot of chazorah and many times give a lot of different things to people who are, unfortunately, in the Zinyonim of Avelis over the last few months. And we know the Gemara already tells us, Gemara in Shabbos and other places, that when somebody dies, we're permitted to do acts of mourning, but not excessively. Like, for example, the Gemara says you're not allowed to pull out your hair. You're not allowed to scratch and cause wounds within yourself. The Gemara tells us this. Why not? And the reason for the Gemara is... Because we realize that although it's painful, it's very hard, and we have to mourn, we have an obligation, it's a mitzvah to mourn. Very difficult for us. Someone left the world, we miss him 100%. But we do realize that the neshama lives on. The guf, the physical is gone, but the neshama lives on. And therefore, when you, when you mourn excessively, you're basically giving up on the neshama, and you're saying that the, the only world is this world. The goyim don't have this. For the goyim, it's only about this world. It's, it's only this world. Once he's gone, so he's gone. And therefore, there's a lot to be upset about. Right? That's what it is. But there's another one, one last lesson I want to tell you, and I will, we'll probably leave with this, even though, again, this is something that we could spend hours on. Something else I'll be able to understand. There is no such thing as justifiable rage. No such thing. It doesn't exist. It, there's no such thing of, of justifiable rage. It just doesn't work. Right? In fact, the Rambam, the Ramban, I'm sorry, the Ramban writes that the control of rage, of anger, is the very first step to spirituality. That's the most important thing. And the Rambam says, this is the Rambam, says that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to come into Eretz Yisrael at the end of the day, and why did he not? Again, she does her Rambam, I'll call upon him, it's because of anger. 
So everything ends with anger. If a person's in rage, says the Gemara Nidorim, Chav Beisam and Aleph, if a person is in anger, all Gehenim take all over him. Who knows what can happen in that case? It's incredible. A person has to be in control of his anger. Let me just tell you one story, and we'll end. In, in 1848, 1848, there was a... Um, I'm not sure if the year is 100% true. But anyway, whatever it is, there, were, there was an epidemic that... Uh, it makes sense that it was later. But anyway, there was an epidemic that took place in Vilna. Uh, we saw Salanta, who was there at the time, instructed all the Yidden of Vilna, famously, to drink on Yom Kippur. Because dehydration, you know, in, 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 their, in their body would have caused the, a terrible thing. If the virus would have gone in, it could have caused death. And, and he was very concerned that there were some very Choshev Yidin out there would refuse to break Yom Kippur. And he got up, can you imagine, Sol Salanta, on Yom Kippur, got up, and he publicly drank some water, just to show everyone how, how much obligation they had to drink to watch their life and preserve their health. Friday night, during the epidemic, Rabbi Saul Salante instructed some of his Talmidim, who were looking after the sick people, to do whatever they could, chop up wood, to light the fire, whatever it was. One of the Jews of Vilna came in to thank Rabbi Saul for having sent the Talmidim to attend to his grandson, who had just recovered from the virus. And in the presence of his Talmidim, the man said to Rabbi Saul, however, Rabbi, with all due respect, I must be honest with you, although it's of course, we know it's permittable to violate the Shabbos when there's Pekuach Nefesh, I think your Talmidim took too many liberties doing things that could have been avoided. I saw one man continue chopping wood even though there was already enough fuel for the fire. They should be instructed to keep the violation of Shabbos at the bare minimum. Rabbi Sral Salanta Rabbi Sai, the founder of the Musaf movement, was never ever raised his voice shouted at the man, you bore, you amoritz, he said. Who are you to tell me what's permissible and what's not permissible on Shabbos? I'm the one who carries the responsibility for the welfare of this community on my shoulders and I will be the one who decides what may or may not be done. The man realized he'd spoken out of turn and apologized. Rabbi Saul Salanta later explains that he had to protest because the man had made his comments in public, and if I wouldn't have shouted at him, the Tamidim who heard him might have understood that they would have been more restrictive, and it would have been causing Bekuach Nefesh, and who knows what happened. I had no choice to make such a dramatic statement. But for the rest of his life, can you imagine the rest of his life, Rabbi Saul Salanta was upset for his show of anger. He says, yes, I was justified, but even justified anger should never be permitted to, es- to escalate into rage. To the end of his life, he never, ever forgot this one incident when he raised his voice. And I think it's a Gabaldi Yusuf, writes, sometimes we look at Goyim, brings a Medrash, to see what not to do. And that's the Yusuf, I think, of what's going on, is to look how Yidin respond. Our response to things, our response to death, our response to anything, should be calm within the confines of Torah Be'ez HaShem. Okay, Be'ez HaShem, tomorrow we shall continue doing more emails.